0: Shachtum, an Indo Askeliger. Time a mon the end of Chacht er a corp, Agasuligum a Makansha, Gurfeger e a her, inuik cart, len of winter thing. Schilti, vis, turme.
2: Toshi, dochretchet, nach vetach, ara, igornemjon, unchest in the echo. Vientalem a or corn yeah, that's to own. To own. That's
0: find us on all the usual podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily. Mary Lou Macdonald, a Republican riddle.
2: Friends, building a new Ireland as a nation home for all our people isn't beyond us. The title of today's conference is Together We Can. We must
0: move forward. She is the most intriguing figure in Irish politics, attracting support across the island.
2: Friends, and so many of you have said to me quite correctly, you know, you've very big shoes to fill. Well, the truth is that no one will ever fill Gerry Adams' shoes. That's the truth.
0: But how well do we know the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald? How did a person with a private school education
1: like that turn up in the most unlikely position that she's in now, which is leader of Sinn Féin?
0: From her father's colourful background to her million-euro mansion and her rapid rise in politics, are there questions to be answered before she potentially becomes Taoiseach?
1: You know, she was fast-tracked. True, she had feigned at a rate of knots, and what understood she had to do, never turn your back on the armed forces. She and her husband bought a house. They then developed it into what I call a mansion. They spent a large, large sums of money. And it is very difficult to understand where that money came from. I'd feel more comfortable about her becoming Taoiseach if she would dissociate herself from
0: what the IRA did. I'm Fiona Chin, and today on The Indo Daily, I'm joined by Shane Ross, author of Mary Lou McDonald: A Republican Riddle.
1: Mary Lou MacDonald never wore a balaclava. She never pulled a trigger. She never planted a bomb. She has never even been in prison. Indeed, it's unlikely that she has ever incurred as much as a speeding fine. Today, she leads a party full of hardened IRA veterans. Some are still puzzled by her selection as leader of Sinn Féin. Others are pleased that
0: she's... Shane Ross... You look to, if not rewrite the narrative around Mary Lou MacDonald, very much fill in a lot of the blanks uh, about her and in that her her background, this kind of suggestion that she comes from a, a very well-to-do Southside Dublin background and this is the the whole fascination with, with her then uh, heading up a Republican left-wing party but you do shed light upon her family background and her in particular her father can you can you tell me a bit about paddy macdonald
1: yeah paddy macdonald was he was a building contractor and he was uh, as a very young man he got married very young and, and as a very young man working there he was pretty successful uh, momentarily for a short period of time he was he's, he figures very much as a very colourful character where he gets himself into quite a lot of scrapes and escapades he had a very 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 unfortunate accident uh around that time and it did him huge amount of damage and he couldn't really par- practice as a building contractor anymore and he, as a result of that he he took an action which lasted an awfully long time for various for various reasons, but it ended up with him in court on several occasions. Um, and he got a settlement which was not nearly adequate enough for him, and he was really incapable of doing the work for which he was trained. He was wild. He was unorthodox. He got himself into all sorts of awkward situations, which were highlighted in the media at the time, but nobody knew who he was. Uh, uh, and they're all actually detailed in the, in, in the book. Most of them are, are out of... Uh, out of the newspapers as well, where he where he was doing things which uh, might have been embarrassing to a politician if a father was doing it, but she wasn't that at the
0: time. The accident actually seems to contribute a lot to the struggles that he has in in, in his business world. Yeah, this all results in 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 the marriage basically breaking up. Well,
1: I don't know. I mean, I for, one thing I said to Mary Lou about uh, when I when I met her and told her about this, I said I wouldn't co- cover any of the details the marriage breaking up, which I think is fair enough. She didn't want me to, and I and I wouldn't do that. Um, but it, it obviously you could guess it was a contributory factor. He was drinking too much. He was not paying the rent uh, sometimes. Uh, his life was pretty chaotic. And uh and so as a result of and, and then the marriage did break up during that period of time, certainly. And his income went down to a very, very low level indeed. And he was drinking he was drinking a lot. So his life was pretty chaotic. So it, it can't have been Helpful to the marriage or, or, the, or the fact that he, he left in 1960, no, 1979, around there, I think, yeah.
0: You detail a few colourful anecdotes as well. The, yeah. the, the tell us about the the, the van with the, the Ben Briscoe election posters. Okay, I'll tell you one, yes, <laughs>
1: but only one, because there are lots. Um, I'll tell you that one if you like. That's, that's a very good one. That ended up on the front page of the Irish Independent. And what happened there was Paddy MacDonald, uh, <laughs> Mary Lou's dad, was a member of Fianna He turned up at election time, certainly, and he he would tell people he he campaigned for Ben Briscoe, he campaigned for Erskine Childers. and he was campaigning in the elections in 1973 for Brady uh, Brady and uh, Jerry Buchanan and for Ben Briscoe. Fiona Foyle's Ben Briscoe is the longest serving member on Dublin City Council, re-elected at every poll since 1967. He's TD for Dublin South Central. He faced a lot of local opposition there when he voted in favour of the controversial Clambrassel Street dual carriageway. And he was driving the truck around with the posters on it, you know, the, which, which they do, and huge truck around. He, he parked it in, or somebody parked it, I presume it was him who parked it, uh, in an illegal place. The vehicle uh, inspectors or patrollers, they were, uh, found it parked in that. It was in Harold's Cross in Dublin, the constituency. And he came out from wherever he was, which I guess was a pub, but it may not. It may not have been. And he saw them taking it away, and he got straight in, and he, he protested with them, as did some of his fellows, about them taking it away. And it was, you know, it was all festooned in finifall finifall posters. They they actually said, "Well, we're towing it away. We don't care." And he got in it, and he sat in it, and he said, "Okay, you're going to take me, basically, basically take me too." And they did, and they towed him away. They 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 towed him up to the pound. And he, it didn't. They won't. care, Somebody paid the, the fine there and then. I think so. One of the Finnerfold troops. But there's this wonderful photograph of him, and it's in the book. And it's, uh, but it's from the. It's the front page of the Irish Independent on the first of March, 1973, and it's it's headed. The van behind the wire right <laughs> which is a really good <laughs> caption which the Irish should have been is good at always has been a van behind and inside there's there's this thing that says compound inside the compound is this lorry with posters Brady and Briscoe and Buchanan and and sitting in this van is this very young man at the time uh who 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 is basically wouldn't leave his car that's what it was so he was turned away and that's that was one of the kind of scrapes that he would that he was in now. he wasn't charged with anything that time or etc. But there are a lot of situations like that. He was wild. He was he was you know he was very colourful.
0: And again, you you explain how the notion that that Mary Lou grew up in in some form of lavish yeah. house in one of the most affluent suburbs. Yeah. Not
1: quite. No, this is the interesting thing, and I don't know whether it's good for her or bad for her that people should know this. But she lived in a very very large house called Arnegrania in Rathgar. And the, when I was, I used to hang around there because it was in my constituency in that area. And people say, oh, that's Mary Lou's house, right? And, you know, then they'd tell you, oh, yeah, she lived there they were very well often, et cetera. And when I started researching the book, I found out that it was rented. It was an apartment. So I don't know what the size of their apartment was. Maybe it was a very large part of the house. But it was rented. So they didn't own their own house at all. Um, and, you know, she did have a private education. Somebody had money to pay for, to pay for that somebody had money to pay the rent and the rent would have been reasonably high but it wasn't as though they owned this massive mansion which is there's a photograph of it in the book it's it's really grand house indeed uh it it was that they were renting part of this mansion and, and sometimes the father couldn't pay the rent as well because as a result of the accident he wasn't he wasn't working full time and his business his business went under and he afterwards you know which which led to many other stories about him. He afterwards had many, many jobs. Indeed, some of them uh, entertaining, some of them abroad, some of them landed him in a lot, quite a lot of trouble.
0: So that that's one of the riddles you, you you point to. They're financially struggling, yet at the same time, there's kind of the, the facade is living in a big house, going to private school, and that's, that's part of what, what doesn't add up. Yeah, it doesn't quite add up. Now, they have this...
1: Very, very, very responsible mother who was very conscientious and and Mary Lou is very close to her. You can you can tell that she she was with her last weekend at the at the at the, thing, the three arena. The three arena. She she brings her, She brought her to the Ardesh where she was uh, elected leader. So she's very close to her mother indeed, and uh, but not close not so close to her father. So that area of things doesn't really add up because there was no obvious source of income coming in. Regularly, I think it was sporadically coming in, but, but not at all. So, I mean, going to a private school must have stressed uh, her and her brothers and sisters went to private school. Well, one of them. One of them went to a private school as well. You know, so that that, was, that would have been pressed, pushed them very hard.
0: Now, you you know Mary Lou very well, yeah. largely speaking, from your, your time in the, the Public Accounts Committee together. But, yeah. it, so, is this biography, is its it authorised? Is it sanctioned? Is it, a sanction? is it Is it with the cooperation of the subject? No, it's not authorized at all. I I asked her
1: not to authorize it formally. I I met her in May last year and told her what I was doing. And uh, I asked her, you know, could she help in it? Actually, what I wanted her to do was to introduce me to members of her family. I thought that was the missing part, the really big missing part. Who is Mary Lou? where she come from? Nobody really knew anything about this. And uh, it's all in there now, I think. And she... uh, that was all I asked her actually I didn't want it to be authorised because it would be compromising uh, but uh, she came back after about a, a week she said she'd go, and go away and think about it and she came back after a week and said no I am not going to uh, authorise it I am not going to introduce you to members of my family or assist with it in any way but she said I won't stand your way so it's it's certainly not authorised and if it had been I, I guess it would have been a different type of book
0: What was the attraction in writing a book about Mary Lou MacDonald if that's not too obvious a question She's Easily the most fascinating person in Irish
1: politics, by a country mile at this at this stage. I considered other people for biography, but no one came close to her because there were so many mysteries about her. Because there was, I mean, it's called a, it's called it's all called a Republican riddle. And there were so many questions that should be asked, like who is she, where'd she go to school? How did a person with a private school education like that turn up in the most unlikely position that she's in now, which is leader of Sinn Fein, which is is not a not a position which you would associate with a with a with a, with a, with a leader of Sinn Féin or a private school person. So all those things. But is she a convinced Republican? Why did she? Why did she do it? Was she? Was she? A, is she a politician of conviction or not? Because you have to ask that question when you see this very unlikely fit. So that 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 was the first riddle, and uh, you know there are lots of others, and I don't want to go around this in the wrong order. But I mean Finnafall and her association there was was a mystery. I knew that she had been there, but I didn't know what her extent of her commitment was, what Fianna fall had thought of her, why she left, all those things like that. And that those were all things which are fascinating about, about her. And the, and the final one is this, that nothing is predestined, but she's very much the favorite to be the next Taoiseach, as you know. And uh, so that makes her very interesting. So she'll be the first woman ever
0: Taoiseach, which is that, and the first Sinn Féin minister ever. Do you think you've got to the bottom of that Republican riddle, how somebody from this background in no way involved whatsoever uh, in the Troubles, in fact, doesn't join uh, Sinn Féin until after the Good Friday uh, Agreement, rises to the top of the party and and also, therefore, is she in complete control of the party or are there still the the so-called shadowy figures in the background there running the show? Well, I've got the reasons that she's given
1: and I've laid them out Quite clearly in the book, and they're different from time to time, and they differ a bit. And I would have a a view on whether they're all credible or not. I think it's probably, as in some cases, it's probably a, a combination of things: conviction, maybe, on the Republican side, um, an experience for the hunger strikes, maybe.
2: Of my generation, who saw those images from the H blocks beamed into their, into their homes, I think it changed all of us. I think it changed us whether we realised it or not. But for me, it was the, the precise moment <clears throat> that I, as a Dublin girl, realised how seriously wrong something was.
1: Meeting, the, meeting certain people at certain times in her life so who've, who've persuaded her that she should do certain things. I think the control thing is probably a different issue. Who whether whether she's con- controlled or not, but that is another question which I would think we haven't totally answered yet. But if you were to ask me, is there still an army council? I would say that there are forces at work that that are probably strong pressures, uh, but there is no structure like it was. There's no military structure like it was. There, but there is. I mean, even the SDLP say that the, it is. In a reduced form. Now, what they, they're pretty vague about that, but I think there's a there is a feeling amongst opponents of Mary Lou that is that there are influences there which are which are still operating, uh, and, put, and certainly, probably, they're stronger than the influence of normal political advisors. Uh, uh, but to say there's an army council still now, there's not an armed threat to the state like there was before, and not, there's not a gun at Mary Lou's head or anything like that. But obviously she has to take account of the views of people who've fought for the IRA because they are still active in the party.
0: After spending, uh, uh, how long, 18 months working on on the book, do you feel you know the real Mary Lou MacDonald better? Because you you actually know at at one point how you worked very closely with her on the the Public Accounts Committee, but you said you you never really went out, socially or even semi-socially for, for coffees or, or, or yourself and other members Yeah, it was always a very it's very professional very, very business like you don't really get to know the, the personality behind it
1: I mean I thought I knew her then and I now think I probably don't, didn't and don't know her now I like her and what I see and meet and have known I like a lot and, I, and it's you know she's very engaging she's very agreeable she's very funny very pleasant very good manners everything like that and uh, I think it was um, Killian Ford, who's, who was her kind of sub for for Europe and involved in the party with her and her assistants. He, he said that she's never noble. To me, it's in the book as, as well. He says, at the end of the day, she's got lots of facets to her personality, but she's not really noble. And I think probably she keeps a kind of inner distance from every, everybody, where whether, whether she's got this really engaging outward personality. I don't, I don't know people who claimed, and all the, I've met over 200 people in this, Probably a lot more. I never came across anybody who said they really knew her very well. Uh, They know aspects of her. They meet her every day, maybe, but I don't think they can necessarily give you any huge insight into what really makes her tick. I mean, I mean, I think she's probably ambitious. Perfectly, you know. She she was, you know, the, the the stories of her at school are that she was a good but not much above average. Pupil, just a, a normal person. The stories of her at Trinity are that she was similarly, you know, she's got two one degree, which is which is good, but not brilliant. It's not. Um, she was very, very normal. In political terms, she was absolutely disinterested till she was about 28, 29. So do I think I know her? No, I know the political side of her, a lot of which I disagree with. And I find her very agreeable and i have a good relationship with her, but not. To the extent, as you say quite rightly, she never goes in the member's bar. She never goes into the restaurant. I never had a drink with her or anything like that. But lots of repartee and banter. Yeah,
0: of course. And you say that working on the the Public Accounts Committee, you you feel that that she became the star of the show there and and she very much became a, a personality in her own right, separate from her party.
1: Yeah. She was the only, obviously, Sinn Féin person on the Public Accounts Committee. And I was an independent, so we were kind of acting a bit in unison. I think it was John McGuinness who says as well, she was she was kind of separated from her party there because there was no republicanism on the PAC. There was no issue of the border or, or the economy, really. What she was doing was questioning accounting bodies, in other words, departments, secretaries general. And she was really good at that. And she was really good at getting information out of people and asking the right questions. She was really well briefed. But there was no real politics in it. I mean, the Public Accounts Committee is in theory and sometimes in practice apolitical, in terms of political parties. You sit down there and you ask the questions to accounting officers about about how they've governed, basically, their department, whether good or bad or other. And she was very, very good at that. But, of course, it was an atmosphere which was completely free of of political jousting. And so she could just get on with that. We didn't hear about the border. We didn't hear about United Ireland. We didn't hear about, uh, you know, socialism or feminism or any of those other things, which she's very strong on. Or it's not very strong on socialism, but the, the party would be strong on uh, We just heard she was acting really rather like a lawyer in that that situation and was very good at it.
2: I should say at the outset, just to declare my interest, I did postgraduate studies in the University of Limerick. So uh, I'm certainly not going to question the excellence of your academic uh, endeavours. One of our most valued alumni. Thank you so much. And flattery professor will get you nowhere as you will discover (laughs)
0: Can I put something to you though, about about that that period? You you talk about the successes that the the Public Accounts Committee uh, had under under John McGuinness's chairmanship, hmm. bringing senior public officials to to account, getting in in, in particular in the wake of the, the the crash. You had a lot of people in the in the, the Department of Finance and its remit coming in and and bringing them to task. The issue about the, the Garda whistleblowers, and you say, you detailed how Mary Lou was very significant in that in, in her interrogation of of the then, then Garda Commissioner and then the Central Remedial Clinic. And they were the successes. On the flip side, you'd have to say, Mary Lou MacDonald also contributed to a number of other issues uh, on, on the, the Public Accounts Committee. One being Angela Kearns going all the way to the Supreme Court which found that the Public Accounts Committee acted unlawfully. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you say in your book that that ruling had questionable merits, mm. but yeah. it's the Supreme Court of Ireland, yeah, so sure. the highest court in the land decided this. Also, in, in making allegations, in repeating allegations about people holding Ansbacker accounts on the floor of the Dáil, she was found to have abused Dáil Privilege.
2: The whistleblower says that his investigation into Ansbacker accounts, offshore accounts and tax evasion was terminated by then-Minister Mary Harney in 2004, once Mr Desmond O'Malley was discovered to be one of the holders of these accounts. So
0: you can't be making allegations like that, please. You cannot make allegations of that nature in the Chamber. So, does she respect the institution? of the Doyle, or does she see it as something to be used for for political gain I suspect
1: it's both which is what all politicians probably feel The Angela Cairns issue is an issue which the, I was involved in that mm-hmm. so I'd make a, a confession first. I was involved in that and I was she and I and John McGuinness were were not named but were quite obviously singled out uh for breaking uh the rules by going beyond our remit um I wouldn't obviously agree with that decision, but it was a decision that, that was made. Uh, I would say just this, that politicians always go beyond their remit if they're allowed to, and that they go as far as as far as they can uh, beyond their remit. And uh, if it was beyond their remit, I don't think you'd find that she or I or John would apologize for the questions that we asked. Uh, uh, and the courts did find, they, they found, I think, that, you know, we caused a lot of stress, which I deeply regret if we did, but we did have to ask serious questions offer. And I think Mary Lou would, would agree with that. The issue of the Ansbacker accounts, yeah, I mean, I think she was wrong. I got a company with her on that. And uh, just to explain it to so, me, uh, an official in the department produced a document which named large number of people of having Ansbacker accounts. Uh, and we all got copies of that that document. And she decided to release it under privilege. I think that was wrong. I think it was irresponsible and it was unfair uh to the people involved and 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 <clears throat> they reacted pretty fiercely and, and uh and mary lou being mary lou and you have to like her for it as well and, and and even though it was the wrong thing to do she took it on the chin and she refused to apologize and said look that's what the dole is for to be producing uh evidence like that we can't be produced anywhere else and she held, held her head up high and basically gave two fingers to the committee i think her decision was absolutely wrong what she did uh but it was typical
0: of her not to retreat on it at all.
1: That's that's what she did.
0: Now, you raise an issue of personal accountability for Mary Lou MacDonald as as well. And you say, basically, this issue will come up more and more if she becomes Taoiseach. This, yeah. this is the issue about the house. Yeah. The so-called Cabra Mansion. Yeah. Explain that and the finances behind it. In
1: shorthand, she and her husband bought a house in Cabra. It was, a, it was a small bungalow. It was in drab condition. And they then developed it enormous into what I call a mansion. It was called a mansion before I called it a mansion uh, by another newspaper article, which is massively increased in size. And they spent a large, large sums of money on it. This is the issue here. It would be into several hundred thousand at, anyway. I, I got three estimates. They're in the book. Um, and what I've said about that is that it is very difficult to understand where that money came from. I'm not saying there was anything untoward about it whatsoever. But I'm, what I'm saying is that they should, if she's going to become a teacher, she should present an account of where that money came from. I think it would be the right thing to do because we're talking very, very large sums of money, probably double the value of the house uh, in its uh, when it was bought as a bungalow, and undoubtedly double that. Because... There's no obvious source of it. It's never been spoken about. It's not to the credit of, I suppose, any of us or all to the media that that has really just passed by. I can't quite understand how that happened, but it did. It was in the, I think there were two articles on it in a very, very shallow, not very shallow, I suppose, but but just they didn't really address the issues six, except by saying, hey, look, look what this lovely big house, Mary Lou has," but nobody actually went into it. And if, you, if they'd looked at the planning And the planning application, it's a massive planning application done by very, very expensive uh, builders and architects, top grade. Uh, So you have to ask the question, where did the money come from? Uh, And that question has actually, to be fair to us, never been asked. So in any meaningful way, anyway. uh, And I think that should be cleared up. Very definitely should be cleared up. Because if people get, you know, there have been accidents uh, before for politicians or where houses have been involved, you know. and I think it would it it would be very helpful if she said, "Look, I won the lotto. Uh, I got a legacy from my grandmother, or something like that." That's where it came from because there's no evidence. Neither she nor Martin Nunnigan and her husband were earning vast sums of money at the time. She was out of politics actually. She hadn't even got a seat at that stage, and um, he was kind of middle-ranking in in uh, Gas Networks Island. So there wasn't huge sources of supply at all that we know of, and neither, neither of them have families which had an obvious source of wealth either. So I think it would be very helpful to say, look, that's how I afforded this. It certainly wasn't out of my income at the time. It would be just useful to say that. Otherwise, people would continue to ask questions.
0: Because, I mean, the, the argument could be, you know, after getting married, they lived in a house in, in Batter. They were then out in, in Castle Nock. You know, building up equity, they moved on to a bigger house mm-hmm. as their as their family is, is, is growing. And maybe there was savings on top and... What you're saying? There's just there's just too big a gap. Much too big a gap. I so mean you're saying that they best bought the house for about, about half a million, and the, the renovation works. Yeah, the renovation works could range anything up to five five hundred or top of that.
1: Could be more. The bungalow was five hundred and seventeen thousand, in very bad order. So they well, they knew when they bought it they were going to have to do something something to it. Uh, but they sold a house which wasn't. They sold a house out in Riverswood and, and knock which was probably valued a little less than the one they bought. So they weren't going to get a huge amount out of that. So it's just very difficult to uh, to say where the money came from. You wouldn't get a mortgage of half a million with, with a very low income. And so that is, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a big question mark. And I think, I think maybe there's a perfectly obvious explanation. But I think politicians should, if they've got signs of such wealth, they should have to explain it. And normally they do. But uh, first of all, she was out of the door at the time. And secondly, if if she held cash or anything like that, she doesn't have to declare it. Uh, cash doesn't cash, cash doesn't count. So it would be it would be better if the if they, if they, if she just came out and said, "Look, this is
0: where the money came from." What was the most surprising thing you you, you came across in your research about, about Mary Lou?
1: Oh, I suspect the the father and the background was were, were fairly fairly kind of fairly staggering, which is in her favour, I suppose. Uh, because she, despite the difficulties she had a, as a child, uh, she's emerged as a what appears to be a very balanced and very intelligent, an un, unaffected, untraumatized person. Um, I think on the positive side, I think she does have political principles, and it would be unfair to suggest she doesn't. That there's obviously a, an element of opportunism there, maybe massive. Uh, I don't know, but but there were times when again Killian Ford said who was no friend of hers in the end he said she was very strong when people when people um on the doorstep when Finn Sinn Féin people were trying to exploit the kind of immigration issue she wouldn't allow it that's kind of quite admirable I was on the on the negative side I suppose the thing that disappointed me most and, and therefore disappointed was the amount of time she spent in northern Ireland going to commemorations the amount of time that she spent trying to do the bidding of Jerry Adams Without question, without without querying him, you know, basically parroting him in some of his worst statements and defending him in his least defensible deeds. I thought that was really very disappointing indeed, and I wasn't aware of it. But it was, you see, what she was doing there. She was basically campaigning for the leadership, and she was she was covering herself with the with the hard men in the north at this stage. This was this went on from you know very particularly coming up 2018, 15, 16, 17, 18. She was up at commemoration after commemoration to ingratiate herself with the, the men who'd vote for the IRA up there. I found that, you know, disappointing. But you know, she's 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 got she's got a good good side as well.
0: And what about this justification of the Provisional IRA's campaign? Do do, do you find? Any reservations on her on her part I mean she, she had she'd nothing to do with that period of the, the party's history she comes from a very different political background yeah. uh, herself and, and yet doesn't really seem to bat a, you know, blink an eye at, at the idea of saying the IRA's campaign was justified. So what's your
2: relationship with the elected. IRA then? These, no, these people that George have, Hamilton have, says
0: are still out there,
1: still wielding influence. What's your relationship I with them? I have then?
2: no relationship with the IRA. I've never been a member of the IRA. I'm a Sinn Féin person, and I am the leader of Sinn Féin. I was democratically elected to this position. We are an open democratic party, and nobody dictates the pace to me.
1: The, um, that's the deal when you go into Sinn Féin, I think, isn't it? You know, she was fast-tracked through... Uh, Sinn Féin, at a rate of knots, didn't have to go through any of the uh, the usual the kind of hoops. And it's quite obvious that uh, the the real sine qua I mean, the, what she was told or uh, understood she had to do, never turn your back on the armed forces. That's that's it. I mean, that applies to every member of Sinn Féin, as far as I can see. And she stood by it. Now, you could see when she was taking certain positions that she probably didn't share them really, and she wasn't convinced of them. And as all politicians do, it's somewhat different, I suppose, in her case because you're not condemning murder. In other politicians' cases, you go you go along with what you don't agree with, but you're basically just voting against your conscience or your beliefs. Um, and I think that was that is something which is which is held against her and rightly held against her, or remi- remembered by you know by by her opponents. They they say, look, condemn these awful murders, and she won't do it. And that is, you know, she'll fudge around and say she regrets they happened, but she will not. And there's a whole chapter about the ones she didn't condemn, the ones which we, you know, awful, awful situations. You know, she says, she stood by Adams on saying that Slab Murphy is a a good Republican, when she obviously didn't look comfortable doing
0: it, but she did it. And were you satisfied with her reaction to... Allegations of sex abuse by members of the IRA. No, it was,
1: this was, this is another one. I mean, the the Maria Cahill case was just appalling. And she was in the door the day that they gave, I think it was four hours to discussion of Maria Cahill's case. And uh, it was just a terrible story. She sat beside Gerry Adams throughout and she parroted his line and the IRA's, or the IRA Sinn Féin's line on that. And she didn't veer from it for a moment, which is extraordinary for a woman.
0: In light of of these, we call them judgment calls on, on her part, would you have concerns about her becoming Taoiseach in light of everything that you know about her now?
1: I'd feel more comfortable about her becoming Taoiseach if she would dissociate herself from what the RA did and make credible demonstration that she's not in any sense still in the hands of people who still support the idea of violence. I think that's that would be much I'd feel much more comfortable. You know, the the question people ask is are they democrats? Behind it all people say is, okay, she'll come and she'll form a cabinet, but you know, are the are the institutions of the state going to be used in a way which which they shouldn't be. Um, you can't really fight too much with 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 a democratic mandate. But and you have to realize obviously that young people don't care as much as we do. About, about that because we remember. But I think I'd feel more comfortable because she's kind of in the middle there and she's she's been subjected to, to influences from both sides. And it, whatever her instincts may be, she may be compelled. If there are still powerful people in the background, she may be compelled to respond to that. I think that would be a
0: pity. And I think it might be dangerous. Would you vote for Mary Lou McDonald? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. Um, it's hypothetical. You're not. You don't live in her, her constituency. If I if I if she I move to Cabra next would week, I, we would, you would I vote for her?
1: Um, I I'd take a bit of convincing to do that. If I was convinced that she had broken all links with people who have undemocratic intentions and were not still involved in any way in doing things which were not democratic, I wouldn't say never. You know. um... She's she's very able. She's she's probably a bit a bit left for me, but I'm not sure that she's just really left at all. Uh, so, but if you've got a bit, you've got to be certain that she is absolutely committed to democracy, and then then you could con- consider it. But you know, if she's not, she's a different type of politician.
0: And my thanks to Shane Ross for joining me today. I'm Fiona and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Gareth Mulhall with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE, BBC, UTV and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.